0: This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au.
1: Um. I left that nigga on red cause I felt like it Took me down in a wraps and the orange jacket Doppa-doppa, I look fine and my checks to find No wonder, wonder why I do whatever I like, I do What I like, I do, I do, I do, I do. Like I do, I do, I do, I do. What it like I do, I do, I do. What it like I do, I do.
0: Oh, Cardi B with I do. That was for B. I think it was a – I don't know. We might not have needed the language warning for that, but, you know, you never know. It was okay. I like the bedroom comment. <laughs> that was – oh, yeah.
2: Great
3: line.
0: Yeah, pussy's so good I say my own name during sex. So. <laughs> Go Cardi. <laughs> yeah, that was for you, MB. It is nine after four, and you listen to In Your Face on 3CR with Yvette and James.
2: We've got a guest on the line. look, Madharan is a doctoral fellow at the University of Potsdam in Germany. Her research analyses the movement of refugees in Europe with a focus on the gendered and raced visual narratives of the European border regime. And she joins us on the line from Sydney. Welcome to 3CR. Hello there. Hi. Hi, Anouk.
0: Uh, so Hi. How, how race and gendered are the images that we're seeing of refugees trying to cross into Europe?
4: Yeah, I mean this is a very important question and maybe I can talk about one incident, you know, where this becomes very clear mm-hmm. and this is um what happened in Cologne and I think this is really a gallery of how, you know, sexual politics and racist border politics intertwine. So, you know, the question kind of um still is, at least in popular media, what happened or what did not happen in Cologne? And you, um, the kind of the main, you know, media narrative or the story goes um, that during the 2015 uh, and 2016 New Year's Eve celebrations, um, there were allegedly mass sexual assaults. So 24 um, rapes were reported and numerous thefts. And this um, apparently mainly happened in the Cologne city center and the German police said that at least 1,200 women were sexually assaulted and um, that at least um, 2,000 men were involved. And these men were mostly classified as from North African descent and as refugees. And, you know, to be very clear, this is how the story was reported in um, German media. And if we look at um, the genesis of this media story, it is very interesting because um this event was um first classified as very um insignificant and only reported by local newspapers, which mainly focused on the pickpocket right but then you know days um a few days after after the story was first um became first popular in newspapers um it started to they started to report that one thousand North African men or refugees had attacked women in the city of Cologne. But later, it was found that only three of the sixty men that were arrested for these um, alleged attacks were actually refugees. And, and look, um, how did the how did
2: the police and the yeah. media get the story so wrong?
4: Yeah, <laughs> well, this is. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is exactly the you know the kind of sexualized nature of um, the border politics, and it is really it's very significant to know that tabloids as well as the quality uh, as well as the quality press reported it in that way. And you know, this kind of the police they ask people to report these um, incidents, and it's really I mean I don't like to use this term because it's used by Trump so often, but it was really um, a witch hunt, right? Created against. Um, uh, you know refugees that were actually um not really part of what happened and really in the wake of this event it it's really um it's really uncanny to see what um what what the outcome was because um like at one uh, like for for one it really triggered a, a backlash against you know chancellor Angela Merkel's the German chancellor's um open door uh, refugee policy and enabled political demands, such as faster deportations. And another very important outcome of this, was um, of the colonial events, was that the government passed a long um, overdue rape law, that's the so-called no-means-no law, which kind of explicitly covers cases in which a victim withheld consent but did not physically fight back. And um, what is crucial here is that the German parliament linked this tougher rape law to the Resident Act, meaning that it is now easier to deport migrants and refugees who commit sex crimes. And look, Um, we've seen seen so
2: many images of refugees moving through Europe and being blocked at various border crossing points, especially after Angela Merkel opened up Germany to refugees fleeing Syria. Mm. What's happened Mm. to those people? Where are they encamped now? Who's taken them?
4: Yeah, that is is really another... um, very important question you're asking i mean um you know we see that i mean first of all let me talk about what happens at the border mm. and the whole border technology with the, which is really the, the focus of my phd thesis mm, right mm. so um what we currently see is that um it, border technology the so-called electronic curtain is a is a big business in Europe. And there is really billions uh, invested in research and uh, development, but also actual deployment of border technologies, right? And um, organizations like statewatch.org, for example, have done very important research. They have followed the money trail um, of this, uh, you know, big business border technology. And they have found that the security and defense industry, so namely the weapon companies, are actually the main beneficiaries of this very um, costly enterprise. And, I mean, what, you know, the, I mean, of course, you know, despite of people actually dying in the Mediterranean Sea, um, the European Union has deployed a so-called pushback um, policies, which means that uh, the European Union has partnerships, so, so-called third country deals, with countries such as Libya, meaning that refugees end up in um Libyan detention centres and here um i mean this is very what what we see there and you know this is for example where the uh, European border regime has a lot of similarities with the Australian border regime and um I mean we see similar um, human rights violations as um that are happening in in Manus and Nauru, for example. The human rights agencies have you know reported the widespread use of torture, rape, and also forced labor, for example
2: it's a big business as yeah. you're saying yeah
4: yeah yeah
0: exactly mm-hmm. so Anuk your thesis puts the visual regulation of mobilities at the center of its discussion exactly can you tell yeah. us more about that
4: sure um so what I'm Kind of trying to do in my thesis is actually introducing the vocabulary of war when it comes to discussing the European refugee crisis. So, this means that um, like the framework or ideal less with uh, scholarship coming from migration studies and no, more fear of war and also how the nature of war has changed in the past decades. One important key word here is asymmetrical warfare. Um, you know, what we see. Um, under the term U.S. uh, counterinsurgency, right? What happens with U.S.-led drone strikes in countries such as Pakistan, Afghanistan, Yemen, Somalia, and Syria, for example. And um, often when I tell about my thesis, people ask me, uh, you know, what are you trying to say? Is Europe at war with refugees? And the simple answer is yes, because the nature and tactics, but also um, the perception of of war in, in media discourse has has changed, right? And I think, um, like one important thing, when we look at the the visual regulation of um, of governing migration in in a violent and racist way, you know, we need to look at how how are also our own social media practices involved. How we, for example, trust trust um, even Facebook as a news media outlet in kind of gaining our information from mm-hmm. there from non neutral
2: agencies, right? And look, yeah. you mentioned the European war on refugees. Where's it going yeah. to end? I mean, obviously there needs to be an end game to this. The refugees aren't going to stop. The um, the crises that are forcing them to mm. flee their, their countries of origin, you know, don't look like ceasing. Where do you think this is going to end?
4: Yeah. I mean you're asking uh, a person that <laughs> will unfortunately not give you a very kind of hopeful vision of of an end okay. game it's because mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> because I'm also looking at how um for example algorithms structured way we not only you know um make use of um electronic uh, or surveillance technologies but also um for example, algorithms are deployed to when uh, refugees actually Um, arrived in in Europe uh, or in EU territory, that um, then they are used to kind of put, um, to regulate where, um, in which countries refugees go. So this is very problematic because then this means that we do not follow, um, you know, refugees' needs to to join their families in whatever country they are, but actually just use algorithms of how um, we, you know, distribute, Uh, people over territory. So, I mean, I think we not only have to look at, you know, the border or at Europe's outer borders, but also really look at how um, we, yeah, what kind of social social justice institutions we can foster to To really create new homes for refugees. So that's the good solution. Everything
2: seems to be pointing towards the dehumanization of refugees, doesn't it? We've got the algorithms that you just mentioned. Exactly. We've got the fake news in the media, uh, we've got the very kind of you know draconian government policies and the and the and the outsourcing to to poorer nations outside the EU. It all seems to be very much about dehumanizing
4: refugees. Exactly. I mean, dehumanization, of course, is also very, uh, unfortunately, a very important uh, visual trope, right, when it comes to visually negotiating the crisis. But, I mean, we have dehumanization, but we have also um, this important notion of the post-human. And that is, and I think this is another important um, kind of way of of looking at what is currently happening, the so-called crisis, is that the, you know, the act of looking... Um, becomes more and more post-human. And I think this came uh, very much clear, um, you know, uh, when you remember the Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg hearing before the Senate. Mm. I mean, this is really how he he could get around these policies because the Senate, like one senator asked him, so um, do you actually look at the communication of WhatsApp, for example? And I felt you could you could almost see Zuckerberg smiling because he said, um, "No, no, no, human is looking at this um, communication, but obviously the machines are talking to each other, right? Mm-hmm. The algorithms are at work, and they're spitting out important information. And this kind of non-human or post-human act of looking, of course, becomes also important in a context like the refugee crisis, in the U.S.-led drone wars. We have the drone." that is actually saying, you know, this is a legitimate target. And as drones become more and more important as border, as a border technology, right, in the Mediterranean Sea, we really need to think about what does it mean if, you know, not the human is looking, but actually the machine is giving us the information. What does this mean for, um, for human rights in, in general, right?
0: Anouk, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome.
4: All the best to Melbourne. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Have a safe trip home to Germany. Thanks. Cheers. Goodbye. Thanks, Thanks, Anouk.
2: And that was Mm Anouk Modoran, who is a doctoral fellow at the University of Potsdam in Germany, talking about Europe's refugee crisis and how new technology uh, is basically dehumanising refugees. Mm -hmm. Scary stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Mark Zuckerberg at the end there too No,
2: human beings actually looking at the data Yeah,
0: Yeah, right Scary It is 4.22 and this is, I think we're going to do orchestral manoeuvres
2: From the 80s Yes Why not?
0: You probably know the cover of the album (laughs)
5: So
1: in the heart of Thornbury, the Islamic Museum of Australia showcases the cultural and artistic heritage of Australian Muslims. Don't miss our latest youth-based exhibition, Ways to be Muslim, and immerse yourself in a series of photographic portraits and unique personal narratives. This exhibition is hosted in partnership with Muslim Collective and the Victorian State Government and is showing until July 8th. Visit the museum website for more information. The Islamic Museum of Australia is a 3CR supporter.
5: gonna be alright Yeah, I got to
0: I was Ingrid Michelson with Girls Chase Boys. The clip is sort of in homage to um, Robert Palmer's, I think it's Addicted, Addicted to, to Love. To love. But the one with the girl, they're standing behind with the guitars and everything.
2: Totally, that's it. Yeah, so
0: it's a, great, it's a great clip. But yeah, anyway, it is, it's 4.35 and you're listening to In Your Face on 3CR with Yvette and James and we are joined by Queenie Bonbon. So Queenie is a Melbourne-based sex worker, writer, activist and comedian. Hi, Queenie. Hello. Hi. So um, a lot of places to go with you today, a lot of things to ask. But could we start with, so the foster-SESTA bills that have just been signed by Trump in the US. It's resulted in the closure of things such as Backpage. Yeah, How has how is this going to affect sex workers based in Australia?
3: Yeah, so it's having a huge effect already. So on... April 7th I think uh, I like a lot of other sex workers w- went onto Backpage and saw that it had been seized by the FBI and it was mm. it was really us like it was like you just been fired from your from your job this is a platform that um a lot of workers use it's a platform that's really accessible that was very cheap and was really um was like a really amazing tool for work to be able to use to, to be able to like screen their clients and be able to have a bit more control in the ways that we work so it's been absolutely devastating for mm. the community
0: so, so the purpose of the bills was supposedly to um help eradicate sex trafficking is that right
3: yeah that's right but the um actually Backpage was closed before the bills when even went through so i i think for me it seems like a an absolute farce that this bill is being pushed through with the idea that they're stopping trafficking I think actually, it really seems like this is an, this is a way for people to for America to be able to have control over what's what happens on the internet. I think anything when um, so this bill it just seems like it's incredibly complex and not. You know I'm not a lawyer, obviously, I probably like a lot of rules are complex, but that it's it's so broad reaching and what they're saying and there's there's so many points in it where they really c- conflict uh sex trafficking with with sex work, which we know are such different things, and've they done it in this way, which really suggests that you could only be on either side of the fence that you're either if you sort of want to support sex workers' rights, you obviously don't sort of want to end trafficking whereas I think sex workers really know that um you know, sex workers also don't are not supporters of trafficking, and there's ways that this could have been done without absolutely throwing our community under the bus. Now,
2: I've read I read some commentary from some sex workers in in rural Queensland where they said the closure of Backpage by the FBI it's all very dramatic, isn't it? Had mm. literally put them out of business.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a it's a huge thing. Like, you know, I, I think I, I'm definitely not alone. Like, I get 100% of my work from from Backpage. It was it was the, one of the most popular mediums um, in Australia. And actually globally, you know, because of the sort of, like, borderlessness of the internet, it was a site that was so commonly used. So this is absolutely just, like, uh, there are so many workers now who just, you know, have dead... Dead phones.
0: Mm. In regards to sex trafficking, is it possible that the closure of something like Backpage will now make it harder to track sex trafficking? Yeah,
3: absolutely. So I think the evidence previously had shown that um, the that sex trafficking that they had been able to previously um, make convictions through um, the online uh, print of traffickers and this idea also that somehow that someone who was like a trafficker would just go oh back page is closed I guess I'll be getting another job now Mm. like it's absolutely farcical like it's just pushing it underground and there's there's no safety for um, for anyone who's who's in these situations that that they will be um, safer if this is pushed underground. It's not Mm. that if it goes underground, it's stopping happening. It just means it's harder to find. And these people also, um, when they're being split away from um, workers and their accessibility to access the police, access other workers, it's making them way more isolated and absolutely increasing the danger that um, people will face. There
2: (laughs) seems to be a regulatory view that, you know... Our governments need to make it as hard as possible for sex workers to operate in order to close the industry down, and we're seeing that with the Nordic model that's being proposed here in Australia by a branch of the Liberal Party. Mm. They're calling on the state opposition to adopt a policy of uh, the Nordic model, regulating sex work in Victoria. How bad would that be for sex workers?
3: So I think if we if we look to Sweden, there's there's been it's like it's been 15 years of absolute disaster. Um, I think that the evidence has shown that there are there are no less sex workers, mm. um, but what they are showing is that sex workers had a huge wedge now looked uh, between them them and the tools that um, enable them to work safely. So. Um, it's often put forward that the nordic model is um, often what's referred to as like partial decriminalization and they all say that you know it's great it's best for the worker because the worker will never get arrested but if you criminalize our clients um, and we're no longer able to rent spaces to work we're forced to um, work in underground ways where um we lose just the the control that we have in our workspace things like being able to work with other workers which is you know a huge part of our of like a safety strategy that we use it is not allowed, and even things like um, people can be charged of living off the earnings of prostitution. So that means that, um, in place where the Nordic model um, exists, people's children who are over sixteen have been charged with living off the earnings of, and it's just that their that their mother is is a worker.
0: Mm. So currently in Victoria, it's only illegal for clients to solicit sex in a public place. So the act itself is not illegal, is that right?
3: So um in Victoria we have um where it's this license so it means that you um that brothels um are legal and as well as um you can work privately if you're registered. So this would now criminalize all criminalize clients. Um it's uh, again and again, you know, anything that pushes sex work underground is, is absolutely not going to make us safer. Um, mm-hmm. The information shows that actually um, decriminalization is the safest thing that we can do. It um, it enables us to have way more control over um, how we work, where we work, the clients that we see, and also things like access to other safety mechanisms, and whether that's a peer community or the police. And actually, you know, that's uh, the police is... I think not so for a lot of people, but the, the gap between how far that and not safety is 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 absolutely amplified if you're working in a criminalised state. Mm-hmm.
2: A Change.org petition has been launched calling on Greens federal leader Richard Dean Natale to intervene and have Kathleen Maltzahn disendorsed as the Greens candidate for Richmond in the upcoming state election in November here in Victoria. To what extent is her position on sex work different to the Greens policy?
3: So she... Um, she- is anti-sex work. She, um, previously run, um, Project Respect, which is a rescue org. Um, she has openly says that she would, um, vote in opposition. She would take, um, it's called a morality, vote or something when you... Um, if if it was to come up that for decriminalisation that she would vote against that. So the Greens... Vote against
2: her party's policy. Yeah, so
3: the Greens um, currently say that they believe um, that decriminalisation is the safest thing and, and what their party stands behind. Decriminalisation is also, you know, what Amnesty International... So there's huge research showing that this is absolutely the model that is the safest way for workers to exist. And Kathleen Malton, despite this information... Is saying that she does n- she does not believe this. She does not believe what workers are saying, what um, Amnesty is saying, what the World Health Organization is saying. That she will take a different stance and do things that will further endanger sex workers' lives.
0: Mm. Queenie, you're a member of Debbie Doesn't Do It For Free. So can you tell us about their work? Um,
3: Debbie Doesn't Do It For Free is um, a sex worker art collective that has been going – actually, I was just trying to remember if they've been going for 15 or 20 years. They started in mm. Perth um, and they are Australia-wide. Um, all Debbies get to have a Debbie – secret Debbie name or maybe not a secret name but an, also you know another alias. Okay. Um,
2: oh, wow. It's a bit like the Masons. Yeah. Yes, it really. is a
3: bit like... <laughs> 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 kind of with the yeah. secret codes and handshakes. Um, and so the Debbies do um, lots of shows and they have a really great Instagram and they're just a really in, like wonderful, inspiring... So what kind TV of shows? Oh, so they do um, visual art, they do performance art. So it's just all different sex workers bringing their creative skills into um, a much larger creative pool of workers and so mm. our common thing that we all do different types of art but our common thing is that we're all workers
0: well that leads me to some of your work your yes. performance artist work so can you tell us about some of your shows you've traveled you've you've toured it yes. extensively
3: yep so I've done um three shows and um my third show which is called um Welcome to the Mystic Hole, a presentation about being in your body and other people's. Um, is just about to do um, two nights at Heron Hyenas. I think it's actually nearly sold out, but I will come back and do um, Fringe later in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's my new show. It's about um, navigating... Um, it's mostly about sort of like navigating like labour and the body and capitalism and how um, this affects like the relationships we have um, in our lives.
0: So is it stand up comedy? Yeah. Sort of piece? Yes. Oh, okay. Cool.
2: Political <laughs> previous- stand up comedy. I love it. <laughs>
0: What's that? Sorry. Political, political
2: stand up comedy.
0: Oh, all the best stand up comedy is political, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and what about your previous shows?
3: Um, so I did two other shows. Um, one called Power Up and one called Deeply Related And um, yeah, um similar, you know, I feel like um sort of this line of work, I feel like it really um bestows a lot of really quality material to um, to work with. So um, yeah, I think it, and also I think it's really nice to be able to, um, you know, talk about this thing that I think a lot of people feel like they've never had dialogue about and often feel really overwhelmed because, you know, we are told so many stories and sometimes like breaking down those narratives can be really confronting. So I think doing it with humor is like actually a way that people, um, are really responsive to engage with.
2: And I think mm-hmm. if people talked about it more than they wouldn't think that sex work was akin to human trafficking. Yeah. So, you wouldn't have these misunderstandings. They're really fueled, I think, by moralism.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think yes, there's so many, yes, like constant misunderstandings. Like, I feel like I, I, something that I experience all the time is often I'll do a show and people will immediately afterwards be like, oh, I've never met one of you before and I'm like oh do you like do you mm. mean a, like a comedian and they're like no you know like uh and they're really like oh my god they and I was like oh like a sex worker, and I'm like yeah I'm like oh no we're everywhere yeah. we like walk amongst you we're all mm. over the place you just think you haven't and people are like genuinely shocked that they're like oh my god mm. I thought you were just on the telly or leaning into a car or just a pair of legs with fishnet tights on like you know
0: (laughs) the stereotype yeah yeah there's a lot of hypocrisy around the sex industry as well though isn't there I mean you must encounter that all the time
3: I mean like absolutely like and people I think yes people um I I, I, like it's just you (laughs) you know I think yes, we get so many downloads about about like what sex work is, and I think people just really find it so hard to take to take these things apart and understand that um, how wide the umbrella of sex work is, and actually um, how 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 many of us are just part of the community.
2: Absolutely, like it's not just. I mean, there's lots of. Industries within the industry, aren't there? You Absolutely. Know? Uh, it's not just, well, you know, street-based sex work that, you know, um, you see under red lights in, in King's Cross that's kind of like, you know, the, the stuff of documentaries and, um, yeah, kind well, of like how, Law & Order episodes.
0: How many people are, are benefiting from or, uh, or, or, you know, benefiting from the work of sex well, workers? it's therapy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, even uh, uh, the porn industry you know i mean it, there's a, just a lot of hypocrisy where people will sort of draw a line at you know sex work is something far <laughs> removed from themselves and yeah, abso- it's, the way i see it is that most people are um, engaged supporting with it s- engaged with way. it or supporting you know pretty much every day of their lives <laughs> yeah absolutely mm.
3: yeah anyway. and um you know i feel like the the benefit that sex workers give to you know the community is you know kind of mean it's ab- abundant the gifts that mm. we give. Yeah. yeah, abundant. So the
2: FBI, if you're listening, put Backpage up because yeah. it's doing a lot of good.
0: Yeah. So what is the what is the future for something like Backpage? Then is that it, it's seized at the moment? Does that mean it's
2: is there something is else springing yeah. up? Is the Chinese so, yeah. government going to um, do something, for uh, example, yeah, you know, right. Actually, and grind or anything? Yeah.
3: The sex work community has um, absolutely leapt into action, and there has been um, there's currently a new um, classified ad called Crocker, which um. is um, worker owned and operated. Um, and um, you know, there's I think there's this time when between when um, something you know begins and um, when it is. You know, in has the same sort of um, flow as Backpage did, but I really I hope that the future is that workers actually are able to take a lot more control of, um, of our work of our online work environments.
2: A worker-owned site would be great, run, uh, regulated, controlled by sex workers to to you know control the industry.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we've seen this uh, like a lot more um, previously, like where workers have had a lot more control of porn, but less so on advertising sites. And I, maybe this could be the moment where that shift really takes place.
0: Mm. Now, your show coming up at Hez and Hyenas, when, how do people get tickets? How do people get involved?
3: Um, so I think uh, you can call Hez and Hyenas, I think. and I checked it. out their some... website. They're still, they're
2: still taking bookings, but okay. it is selling oh. out.
3: Yeah, I think there's, I think there's 10 tickets left. So, when is it on? May 10, May, May 10 11. Oh, May 10 11. May yeah. 11. Okay, cool. Oh, well,
0: Here's you know, it's in Johnson around.
2: Street, Fitzroy.
0: Yeah. yeah, cool. Hey, Queenie, thank you so much Thanks. for being with us. Today. <laughs> Thanks for coming
2: in. Great to Hi. meet you.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to do another Cardi B track, just, you oh, know, why do. not? Uh, 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 a former sex worker herself. So, I think so, right? Yeah, yeah. she was a stripper in the Bronx. Yeah, yeah she sings a lot about it.
3: Great. Right. <laughs> so,
1: Hop up the stool Jump in the coop Big dip on top of the roof fixing on bitches As hard as I can Eating halal Driving a Lamb. So oh, that bitch I'm sorry though Got my coins like Mario Yeah they call me Cardi B I run this shit like Cardi district
6: Vean, pero no jalan. Tú compras toda la chorlambó, a mí me la regalan. I in the club, why you have in the bank? This is the new religion bank, el latino gang. gang. yeah. Está toda servieta, pero es que en el closet tenga mucha grasa. Mute la mude la pa dentro de casa, yeah. Cabrón, a ti no te conocen ni en plaza. El diablo me llama, pero Jesucristo me abraza. Guerrero, como Eddie, que viva la raza, yeah. Me gustan boricuas, me gustan cubanas Me gusta el acento de la colombiana Como me ve el culo la dominicana Lo rico que me chinga la venezolana Andamos activos, perico, pim, pim Billetes de cien en el maletín Que retumba el bajo y valentín yeah. Aquí prohibido a mal, dile charitín Que perpico le tengo claritín Yo llego a la disco y se forma el motín yeah. In the chat,
1: I'm like Oh, he's right. so handsome, what's
6: El cru, tengo el azúcar, azúcar. tú que va, me medio y se fue de pecho como Gini nunca. Ah. Te vamos a tumbar la peluca y arranca para el cabrón, que a ti no te va a pasar la boca. A mí tía ni me reciben en la entrada. Uh. Pa, pa, pa para, si la gagá. y no te me hagas, eh, en cover de vivo tú has visto mi cara, eh, lo no salgo de tu mente, uh. donde quiera que viaje, ha escuchado mi gente. Eh. Ya no soy high, soy como el testa rosa, soy el que se la vive y también el que la goza, goza, goza es la cosa, mami es la cosa, cosa, el que mira sufre y el que toca goza, cosa, cosa. Hacerale que like that. Hacerale I I like que like that. Hacerale I I like que like that.
1: Hacerale I I like que like that
0: you've been listening to a 3cr podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3cr in melbourne australia